Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. My wife and I, Michelle, we, we have three sons, uh, and, and they're in their teens, early teens to late teens now. And uh, it's so interesting to watch them grow. And, you know, they, they, they can grow facial hair, all of them now, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and you know, they, they're just, they're big and, 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 and all sorts. Of, it's just, it's so fun to watch. And um, I remember the moment that each of them was born. And, and I remember that first look, like, um, you know, do they look more like me or do they look like Michelle? And, you know, there's family resemblance. You, you know, that's one of the things that I really enjoy when I meet a new family and children is, you know, uh, the resemblance that flows through the family. It's especially fun if you, if you see grandparents and, and then you look at grandchildren and, and sometimes you can see fun stuff like there's a, a little grand, uh, grandson and then he's with his grandpa and they're walking and they walk the same, you know, and, and it's not, it's not, uh, it's not nurture. It's just nature. Like they're made the same. And then, and then when you have families, you have different values that get passed on from generation to generation. Uh, that you live a certain way. You're informed in the way you make your decisions and the way you do things a certain way. And, and uh, you know, there, there's those things that we live by. And, and then there's, there's things like houses and cars and possessions and different things that we pass on to one another. And we feel like it's important that people, you know, have those things. Like my grandfather, uh, he gave me a, a, a saxophone, uh, you know, many years ago. I don't know, probably... 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. But when I was a young boy, when I would go to their home, I would play the saxophone. I mean, what, I, I didn't really know how to play, so I, I blew in the saxophone. <laughs> and so he, he knew that I always had a, a longing for it. And so as soon as he gave it to me, he, he just said, uh, he said, listen, uh, you know, enjoy it, play it. And, and so I, I, I look at it, you know, pretty much. And I've, I've shined it up and that sort of thing, but, but it's passed on to me. It's, it's, it's mine. And, uh, and so... In life, we think about what are the things that are important for me to pass on, you know, to the next generation? What are the things important for me, uh, maybe as a boss or as a leader? What are the things that are important for, for other people to have uh, that I have? And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the most important thing that we can pass on in this life, that we can have as a legacy, is our faith in Jesus Christ. Is, is the, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God that we have seen in our lives that we say, I have to get this to the next generation. I have to get this to those that I know and those that I love. And uh, we're in the midst of Genesis. So we're going to look at that today. And, and, but later on, these same people, the offspring of these people, uh, they wrote this. They wrote... Uh, that what they were supposed to do with their commandments that God gave them in their faith was this. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord, uh, the Lord alone, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so 
this right here is called the Shema. And so this is, this would be the equivalent to like, we have the Lord's prayer, but it, it, within Judaism, this would be the prayer that you would say, uh, most every day. And, but if you notice though, uh, what Jesus came across when he showed up on the scene is he came across a faith for the most part of the most dedicated people that they shared the commands with the next generation, but they forgot the part that says that you will worship the Lord and love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Like that it was a whole thing. They just kind of had made it. Here's the commands, check the boxes, walk through this thing. And they, they pushed it off to the next generation. But the idea here is it says, you know, as you go, as you walk around, as you work, when you get up and you lie down, share these commands with the next generation. And, and many of you have done that. Many of you have served in, in all sorts of ways that, you know, you've served the next generation and you've, you've uh, taught children in, in kids ministry and, and you've taught youth and youth ministry. And, and, th- and then many of you too, that's when you met Jesus. That's when your faith started to grow was when you were in kids ministry or you, there was a family in your neighborhood that knew Jesus and they shared with you or when you were a youth. And uh, that's how it happens. You know, there's no other plan. I mean, isn't that crazy? Like God doesn't have like a, a plan B. It's, it's you and I that the reality of him and the goodness of him would pass on to each generation by a person encountering the living God and then sharing what they learn from him with the next people. Now, Jesus, of course, said this. He, he spoke to his disciples. The last thing that he said, he says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And as a leader, as a manager, or a CEO, or, or you know, uh, whatever you may be, or maybe you manage your house, as you look at this, you think to yourself, you know, hey, sounds like a good plan. But if you read the book, these were totally incompetent people that Jesus was passing this on to. Like, they didn't get it. We looked at that last week a little bit with, with the resurrection. They, they were paying attention, but not really. And Jesus says, look, I've done this amazing thing. I've lived a perfect life. I died on a cross for the sins of the world. I rose from the grave, defeated death itself. Here, tag, you're it. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and it works. It works because we pass on to the next generation over and over again. So as Christians, our greatest legacy is that. That if we pass on houses or cars or, or saxophones or things, but we don't pass on our faith... Have we really lived the way that God has called us to live? And plus too, like as a Christian, like the power of the resurrection lives in you. And the the New Testament calls it dunamis power, like dynamite. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you strap on to this supersonic rocket and it's ready to go. And it, it is really the only thing that is really the true hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ, passing that on to other people and other people. And so today in Genesis, we look back where God's establishing all of this. And we see our our characters in 23 through 25, we see Abraham and Sarah who God is changing everything through. He's going small so that he can reach the whole big world. He's going through one family 
But now we see transitions and handoffs. We see that they've, they've followed after God faithfully, even though that doesn't mean they're perfect. They've blown it many times. But they've kept on keeping on in the promises of God and following him. And so today we see Abraham and Sarah both pass away. But we see in the midst of it, we see that they pass on the promise that God gave to them to the next generation. And it's an imperative for them. They make sure that it happens. And so a reminder about uh, Genesis, because we, we took a couple weeks off as we look at it. Genesis 12 and 15 is when God makes promises to Abraham. And if you read Genesis 1 through 11, it's, it's a total mess. God creates the heavens and the earth and everything, and, and people start defining by themselves what is good and evil. And it's something we do still to this day. But God makes a few promises. He, he promises four things to Abraham and his descendants. He promises land, descendants, blessing for Abraham, and then blessings of all the nations through Abraham. And so all throughout Genesis, you see these themes come over and over again. And this is the playbook of God, that he just hits that over and over again. But you see it come up against this idea of people defining in their own thoughts and their own wisdom what is good and evil, what is good and bad. And it's just not people that don't know God, it's the people of God that do that too. And so you see grace in the Old Testament. You see mercy in the Old Testament. You see long-suffering. You see forgiveness over and over again. And you see that God is really the central figure. The only hero that could be is God. And so that means that anybody that is a follower of God must focus on the faithfulness of God because at the end of the day, even the best of us are unfaithful. That we really need his faithfulness in all that we do. And so we don't build our own uh, kingdoms. We're all taking part in God's kingdom. We don't define that, that our thing that we're doing is going to be the greatest and the biggest in these things because all of it is just worship of him in what he's doing. We all just play a part in that in the space of time. And so let's read Genesis chapter 23, whereas we see the death of Sarah. So when Sarah was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, here I am, a stranger and a foreigner among you. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. And so uh, Abraham is grieving. He's, I mean, he's been married for a long time to Sarah. He loves her. They've gone through so much. Uh, they've made some really bad decisions together. They made some really good decisions together. They've lived life together, a full life together. Sarah followed God for 62 years in this promised land after he, God told them to leave their home. It's been 62 years now. And what's striking is that she never got the fullness of what God promised as he called them out of this land. She never saw the fulfillment of all the four promises. Abraham didn't either. And I mean, isn't that true? Like, like we love God as we look at Jesus and as we look at who he is and who he makes himself to be, we look and we say, God is amazing. But pretty quickly we look at what God can do for us because he's powerful 
and we long for better lives. And so we turn our gaze to that and we look to the things that God can do and pretty quickly we can become about the promises versus the promiser. We become more about the, um, the blessing than the one that can bless. We become more about the gift instead of the giver. We become more about presence versus his presence. When all along, the message is, it's not what God can do for you and I in our lives, but the message is, is he is enough for our lives. Like God is enough and, and that he, we're supposed to live for him and feast upon him. And Sarah does that, I think. And so Sarah dies and Abraham, if you read the chapter, we're not going to read all of these different verses in here, but uh, their negotiating style during this time was very cordial. And so Abraham says, hey, Sarah, Sarah's passed away. I need a place to, um, you know, to bury my wife. And it's been 62 years. And God said, I'm going to give you all of this land. They don't own any of it yet. They're, they're still uh, foreigners. They still don't own the land. They still haven't seen that part of the promise come. So Abraham says, hey, listen, I, need a, I, need a, I, I want to buy this cave over here in this field to do it and, and, and to do that. And they say, oh, you know, you're, you're welcome here. Whatever, we'll give you whatever you want. But it would be incredibly rude and presumptuous to actually say, great, I'll take it even though God had said, give it. And so the negotiation, they says, well, who owns it? I want this. And then the person that owns it says, well, you know, uh, Abraham says, oh, I'll pay you whatever. He says, well, it's only 400 of this. But what is that between me and you, friends? He says, great, I'll pay you that. So it's just this, it's, it's very cordial in the way that it happens. So Abraham negotiates that. And then verse 17, it says, so Abraham bought the plot of land belonging to Ephron of Machpelah near Mamre, uh, this included the field itself, the cave that was in it, and in in all the surrounding trees. It was transferred to Abraham as his permanent possession in the presence of the Hittite elders at the city gate. So today you can go to Hebron, which is in the uh, uh, Palestinian area of, um, of is Israel in this area, and, and, and you can go to this tomb. Uh, all of the patriarchs were married there and their wives. And so you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you, you, see, um, you see Leah, who was Jacob's wife. And you see Rebecca, who was Isaac's wife. And oh no, you don't see them. You're like, wow, that's really cool. Okay, yeah. It's like, man, I'm really over-promising and under-delivering here. No, you can't, you can't see them. But, but they, they were all buried there. And so you can go today. Now there's a big building built over this space. And, but but this was the space that was, that was there. And um, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal that, that that's been um, preserved. And of course, you know, Jews see that as, as a holy place and Christians see that as a holy place. And uh, Muslims as well see it as a holy place, but they have a little bit more uh, uh, distance between them and Sarah. You ask why? Remember what she did to uh, Hagar and Ishmael right? Sent them away uh, because uh, Ishmael's descendants are the Arab people. And, uh, and so, um, which ultimately uh, the people of Islam came out of. And so there's, they, they like the place because they look back to Abraham as the father of their faith as well. And so 
um, it's a little bit different place, but you know, it's a good place to kind of pause here real quick as we see Abraham and Sarah, they've walked for 60 years. I mean, I haven't done anything for 60 years, partly because I'm, I'm, I'm not in my 60s, you know, but I look, I haven't done anything, just one thing uh, for, you know, for 40 years, you know, I've done all kinds of stuff. But to just stay after this long thing and just go after it and, um, you know, it's amazing, their faithfulness. And yet there was so much that they were promised that they didn't get. But I think that there's a little bit, probably, I think they were content. I think that they felt good about what they took part in I, because their focus was on God and not even the big promises that he brought. And I was thinking about this, my, um, my grandfather uh, on my mom's side, um, her dad was a watercolor artist. And so he passed away um, about a year and a half ago. And uh, as a kid, we would go to his house in New Mexico, and he's a southwestern watercolor artist. And, uh, and so we would go to his house, and he would teach us to draw and teach us to paint and, and all these different things. And he, he smoked a pipe back then, and so just everything had just, I mean, it was just cool, you know, just being there. And, and um, you know, and, and, and over time, as we got older, we got some of his prints, and now that he passed and my grandmother, um, you know, is older, you know, now we have some of his paintings. And so these important things are passed on. But one thing that uh, is just, just last summer, we, we moved a bunch of their things. And so um, different family members were divided some of Jim's uh, painting supplies amongst themselves. And I have some and other family members do. And, um, but I, I, I look at these things and I look at these brushes that, that are still useful. And I look at the paints that are there and they didn't like always paint the next thing or the next thing that, that he made. And they didn't take part in the, in the, in, in the, this painting or that painting, but they took part in part of it. And, and they, they got to be in the hands of a master. They got to be a part of this thing that was being done in this collection of things that, that this person created. And the question to Abraham and Sarah and to us is, is, is like, is that enough? Is enough to, to have a purpose, to have a calling, to, to, to be a person in the hands of God, to be a person in the hands of the master and to say, God, here's my life. Let me fulfill my purpose. I'm not going to get everything that I think I'm supposed to get. I'm not going to, you know, uh, have everything that I want. But let me fulfill my purpose. Let me be a part of something beautiful that you create in the world, in this place. And, and that's our longing. That's what we should long for. So in chapter 24, we see Abraham set Isaac up to receive God's promises. But Abraham was living the good life. Like everything was good. Not as much strife. He's kind of settled in some. In verse 1, it says, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. The word blessed is an interesting word. It's basically saying, like, if I were to say you, like, um, I bless you, it would mean that I would take something from me or from God and give it to you. So Abraham had the stuff of God on his life, and he was blessed. He's blessed in every way. Everything you can imagine, Abraham was blessed. But he didn't just settle down into that. He just didn't say, you know what? Life is good. I'm just going to cruise. He went back to his original purpose. He went back to his, his original calling that God had placed upon his life. And so 
Abraham enlists the, the help of a faithful servant. And he says to him, he says, hey, I, I want you to go, uh, I want you to go and find Isaac a wife. Why? Because the promise of offspring and his descendants having this land and then ultimately to bless the whole world had to come through Isaac, the son of the promise. So Abraham's like, hey, I have a part in this. I want to make sure this happens. I'm old. I want this to happen. And so he goes to his servant and his servant's very capable. And he says to him, he says, look, I want you to make sure that he doesn't marry a Canaanite woman because he doesn't want the, 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 different ways of worship intermixing. The Canaanite people would sometimes sacrifice um, uh, their offspring. Uh, And and so, right? And so the the two don't mix. God's like, hey, we we don't play that. We don't play that way. We're not going to do that. And so he's like, I can't have you mix those two ways. And so you can't find him a wife amongst the Canaanites. So he says, I want you to go back to my brother's people, find my family and find him a wife in that place. And so the servant, he actually is a really good example for us because I hope you're not thinking when we talk about like passing on faith, that it's just kind of like, hey, here's what I believe. Or here's here's the denomination that I attend for church. Or here's how I practice this religion, like in just a simple way. I did this, I attended, I did these things. What we're talking about is a vibrancy of faith, a vibrancy of relationship, a taking part in the kingdom of God, playing in the kingdom of God in in going about that. Something that's been on my mind recently is, is I watch little children, like we have a playground out here. And, uh, and then, uh, the other night I was at a wedding and the best people to watch at a wedding are little kids. <clears throat> because there was, this, there was this group of kids and just stuff going on. And everybody else is kind of waiting for pictures and everything. And the kids are just running circles. Watching these little guys. And they're just running. Like, right? They're just running circles around each other, literally. And they're having so much fun. And <clears throat> I'm thinking to myself, like, in that time, like, why aren't I doing that? You know? Like, like why... Like, seriously, why, like, why can't we do that? Like, why can't we play? And that's the approach we're to have in God's kingdom. You know, I, you think of God's kingdom, I think a lot of us think that it's like a library, right? Like in college, my best friend and I, we went to the same college, we went to high school together in college, and there was this librarian, and she, she did not like us. And she just would, she would say, shh, from over there, and then shh. And then finally she'd come over, you know, and, and she just, you know, shh. She'd get louder and louder with shh. And then we'd say shh, you know, because she'd be too loud. But, you know, some people think that that's how the kingdom of God is, right? Is, I mean, is that how it's supposed to be in following God? It's just this library and we're just sitting. No, the kingdom of God is a playground. It's a place that we play and we go and we're rambunctious and we go through things and we try things and we make mistakes and we do things. But we're to be active in the kingdom of God. And so that's what we see with this servant of Abraham. And, and I encourage you to read it on your own, but it's just a, it's, it's a fantastic just story of like faith with wheels. And in, 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 it's really like faith, like, you know, having like boots, you have cowboy boots, like, you know, the song, like dirt on your boots, right? It's like that. Like, like if you have boots, if you have things, it's, it's, it's meant to get dirty. It's meant to get used, 
And that's what you see with this servant. And so I put some highlights here, but what happens is, is he, he, he says, okay, I'm going to go. So he loads up all the camels. He loads up all of the stuff and he doesn't really have much to go on, but he just says, you know what? This is what God's doing. This is to continue God's work and I'm a part of it. And so I'm going to do it. So in verses nine through 11, we see the principle of start, go do something. If you're wondering today, like how you can play in God's kingdom and take part, start, go, do something. And in the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus, that means serve. Like, what needs help? See, it's a lot easier to steer a moving car than a parked car. So, you know, go be a part of something. And so what he does is he loads up supplies. He goes down to the town where Abraham's brother Nahor lived. And he sat at the well at the evening where when the women would come to get water because he's supposed to find a wife for Isaac. So he goes where all the women would be during this place. And in the midst of it, he gets to know God's heart because he knew that God's heart was for Abraham and for Isaac and for his family. And so he prayed specifically and he prayed for God's heart. He says, God, will you bless? Will you show your great love upon Abraham? And will you bring this woman here? And here's what I ask. And so he goes through this, this whole thing. And it's not a principle we can apply and say, hey, if I do this, God's always going to answer. But it's really good to try and do. Because sometimes that happens and then sometimes God answers in other ways. But he basically says, he says, look, God, <clears throat> I ask that the first woman that comes here would be one of his relatives that could be Isaac's wife. And so I asked the way that you would show me is that, is that when she comes, I will run up to her and say, hey, will you give me a drink of water? And she'll say yes. Kind of weird, right? You know, out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, but then after I take a drink, she'll say, hey, I'll water your camels too. But then she needs to actually be a part of the family. And so this happens. Rebecca walks up. And so he runs up to her. Hi, can I have a drink? She's like, sure. And he drinks. And then she says, I'll water your camels too. And then what he does is he sits back and he watches her and watches, well, what is God doing? So get to know God's purpose and his heart for people, then pray and, and act boldly. That's what he's doing here. And then watch and get involved with what God's doing, right? I mean, God's doing stuff all around, all around. And yet we get too into the rhythm of, of, of our normal lives. We get too into the rhythm of just other things. We get distracted. Other things become important, the noise of life and those things. And yet God is all around doing amazing things and he invites us in. And so that's what this guy's finding. And so basically Rebecca says, she says, hey, I'm of this family. I'm actually the, I'm actually the granddaughter of, of Abraham's brother. And, and so what does this guy do? He worships. You want to play in the kingdom of God? Worship with life and song and your words and all that you are. And so this is, this is what it says. It says, the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. Praise the Lord, the God of my master Abraham. He said, the Lord has shown unfailing love and faithfulness to my master, for he has led me straight to my master's relatives. And so he, he worships. He, he's, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go for it. And so what happens is she looks at this whole scene and he gives her gifts to thank her for watering. She runs back home. She's like, I met this crazy dude. I mean, this is amazing. But really she's saying like, isn't this odd? I mean, maybe this is God. Maybe he's doing something. She runs back to the family. He follows. 
He gets there and they make this big feast. He's going to stay there overnight. And um, culturally and really respectfully, he's supposed to now dig into the meal and just take part and let them take over. But here's a key principle for him and a key principle for you if you want to play in the kingdom of God is don't fear man or woman. Don't fear man or woman. It's a snare to you always. See, I I think most people that set out to follow after Jesus and are gung-ho and want to play in the kingdom and go for it, the way we get sidetracked, the number one way that our flesh and the enemy gets in the way is we start to fear people. We start to fear people. Well, what do I look like? Or I look stupid or, or, or they made me look stupid. And not, I'm not talking about people that don't know God. I'm talking about a lot of times the people that do know God. Like when I was in my early 20s and I, I felt like God's call in my life to, to follow after him and, and to share Jesus with people and, and possibly teach the Bible. I had no designs on being a pastor whatsoever, but I just started to feel like God wanted to use me. I started doing that. And just time and time again, I just hit a wall, hit a wall, hit a wall by the people that were older and farther on in faith. And, and it wasn't like, a, hey, I want to help you grow in your faith. I want to help you do this. And it's a story that reverberates all throughout history. You see, it was Saul with David, right? You have a young David that's going after God, and yet Saul pushes down on him. And so the kingdom of God is you can't fear people. You can't fear people. You can't fear traditions. You can't fear structures. You've got to seek after God with a group of people and just go for it. And so what this guy does, he says, hey, I know you've got this big meal here. I know this big scene is happening here, but I'm here for a purpose. And the purpose is to find a wife for my master's son, Isaac. So I think that she's the right person. Are we doing this? And he tells them the whole story of what God's doing. And they say, this is God. Let's do it. And they say, you can go first thing in the morning. So now he sits in and eats and goes for it. But in the morning, they say to him, her family say, let's just wait 10 more days. He says, no, don't stop what's happening. And this is a big deal, right? Can you imagine that if tonight, if you have a daughter and all of a sudden somebody comes and things were done differently then, but if you had a daughter and all of a sudden somebody showed up today and said, hey, I've got to take her back to, to marry, you know, my, my, you know, this guy and my family, let's go tomorrow. Can you imagine? No way. You know, I mean, most of you would be pulling out Smith and Wesson, not happening. You know, this person is not going anywhere. And part of, if you look into, you say you have these men that are all talking about this woman going, right? Hopefully you're seeing that. Wait, why are the men deciding this whole thing? But then Rebecca becomes a great person showing faith for us too. Because what Rebecca does, they go back and forth and he's like, no, don't delay me. I've got to get her back. And they say, no, just let her hang out for a bit. And then they say, let's let her answer. And then so Rebecca, they ask her and they call Rebecca and they say, are you willing to go with this man? They asked her and she replied, yes, I will go. And so she says yes to God. That's a key thing too. If you want to play in the kingdom of God, you've got to say yes, but then back it up further, which means that you've got to be in relationship with him. You've got to be seeking after him. You've got to be making your life about him so that you hear from him and you're able to say yes. And what's on the other side for Rebecca and for Isaac and all of these things is being a part of the story of God, walking into this. And so what happens next is 
is we see this picture, and it's a beautiful picture. It's like the, it's like the end of a romantic comedy. Uh, no, not a romantic comedy, but a romantic movie. Um, I don't know what those are called. Just, just a romantic movie. Are they just called romantic? Yeah. So, what's that? Hallmark. It's like the end of a Hallmark. Okay, there you go. That's Kayla, our kids director. You want to know her. Okay. So who is that man? She's riding up with her whole entourage with the servant and she's out on the field and, and Isaac is walking about in the fields and it's kind of the, the cool of the evening. Things are cooling down. And she says, who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. But right before it says that she like almost fell off her, her camel. She's just like, she's getting off real quick. And it says, and he replied, it is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with her veil. <clears throat> then the servant told Isaac everything he had done. And Isaac brought Rebecca into his mother Sarah's tent and she became his wife. Now listen to this. He loved her deeply and she was a special comfort to him after the death of his mother. And so you see this beautiful picture of, of life going together and happening together because they say yes to God. They say yes, yes to God and take part in the story of God and in God's kingdom. And this servant, read, watch him, because he's somebody that takes what God is doing and says, I'm going to take part in this. I'm going to be a part of this. You know, um, too, like me sitting there with those kids at the wedding the other night, as I'm sitting there, um, they had a lot more fun than the adults, But that's how it is in the kingdom of God. A lot of times, because I'll just say this. Some of us, we, we've been attending for a long time. And then you look at the things that God does, and then you hear the stories that God is doing in time and space, and you say to yourself, it's like those kids, like, well, why don't I do that? And so God has so much more for us in relationship. God has so much more for what's happening. And it starts in your house. Like, who are the people in your house? Who are the people in your family that you are to pass on the things that Jesus has done in your life and your heart to them, whether they're older or younger to you? In my family, that's how God worked. The generation, my parents and grandparents before us, they didn't follow after God. But then my brother and I came to know the Lord in our teens, and then God worked backwards. And so it doesn't mean that they're necessarily younger that you're supposed to pass it on to. Sometimes you're passing it off and reminding the previous generation. But that's, that's where the stuff is. I mean, that's like running around in circles at a wedding. It is so fun. You can do it. And so we're going to finish up Genesis 25. We see the death of Abraham and the blessing of Isaac. And so Abraham lived for 175 years. He died 100 years after leaving homes. So he spent 100 years in the promised land. And Abraham gives gifts to his children, but he gave all that he owned to Isaac. So he had other children, but Isaac was the one that the promise was to go through. And then so Abraham's son Ishmael lived 137 years, and he had many children who became the Arab people. And then God blessed Isaac as the child of the promise. In 25 verse 11, it says, after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who settled near Beer Leroy in the Negev. But God's blessing doesn't mean the absence of trouble or even disaster. It just, it just doesn't. And so 
Isaac and Rebecca are married and, uh, you know, they, they can't have children. And so it says that, that Isaac prays. And it's a, the word that's used here is the word that, that um, it's like contending. It's like this wrestling. It's like grabbing hold of God and saying, God, give us children. And it says that God answers. And he says, you want children? Here you go. So he gives them two all at once. So Jacob and Esau. But then in the midst of it, the twins, there wasn't the OG, OGBYN, thank you, yeah. I need you and Kayla. You guys need to sit in the front row. So, you know, th- that wasn't that situation that we have today. And so, uh, but the two twins are fighting, fighting in her womb and going after each other. And she's like, what is going on? So she asked God, why is this happening? Like, what is happening? And God tells her, he tells her this, uh, as she's talking to him, the sons in your womb will become two nations from the very beginning. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve your younger son. And that was a big deal, and, and maybe it is today too, like the oldest is the strongest, the oldest is the best, whatever. But, and you see it all throughout their life. They go after it, and, and Jacob kind of steals away uh, the blessing, the first part of the blessing of Esau, and, and then later on, he steals the blessing further as we look, we'll look into that next week. But basically, God says to, to, to Rebecca, look, it's not going to go as you think. I do things differently. And, and you see that all throughout scripture. You see that all throughout life. God does things differently. Like the number one way to like stop like the blessing or work of God in our lives is to say, no, I want it the way it's always been. Or this is the way we've always done it. And it makes me think of uh, a family that I heard of. And uh, for Easter, as they would have an Easter ham, the tradition, generation after generation, is that, is that the, uh, the uh, people that would make the ham in the family uh, would cut the ends off of the ham. Both ends. You know, and, then, and then they'd cook it. And so finally, one great-great-granddaughter said, hey, why do we cut the ends off the ham? I had a friend asking, like, why do we do that? And I don't know. It's what we've always done. It's how we always do it. And then they kind of asked up the line, asked up the line, and then finally they figured it out. It was that, you know, um, the great-great-grandmother, her pan that she had was too small (laughs) for the ham. So she cut the ends off. But as the pans got bigger and the different things, they just kind of still did it that way. And I mean, that's, is it, isn't that you and I? Well, I don't know. This is the way my family's always done it. Well, I don't know. This is what I've always done. Well, I don't know. Like, this is, a, this is tradition. This is how it is. And yet God comes along and says, I'm a living, breathing, dynamic being, and I'm doing things in ways that are different than your ways and I'm going to be different than you think, but it's all good and it's all going to bless you. And so stop cutting the ham. Stop cutting the ends off the ham. You know, I I found this out for me. um, very well-meaning people that I came to Jesus at a vineyard church and then I was a part of another church, but people that brought me around, like, um, 
they told me like, like responsibility, like we're sharing today, like share your faith. And, and, but it was like this thing, like the sharing the commandments. And so I would just share and, and, but they said, but tell people that God loves them. I was like, okay, God loves you, you know, but do these things. So it was very well-meaning, but it was just kind of this action, this activity. And, and I saw some fruit from it. I'd go share with everybody. Um, but then like, as I experienced brokenness, as I experienced trouble, as I experienced disaster, as I experienced failure, um, is I experienced um, like betrayal, like real things in my life. All that I could do was turn to God. And, and so my faith that he was an ever-present help in times of trouble, my faith that he was a comforting one, my faith that he loved me, it wasn't just a thing that I believed in, it was something that I experienced. And as I received and experienced more of the love of God, my heart and my life has begun and continued to be transformed into the person I was made to be. And so when I pa- that's what I want to pass on to people. I want to pass on just this desperation and this need for this powerful, loving person that is ever-present, that is strong. And so it's a surrendering, but I had to stop cutting the ends of the ham because I sought him in a certain way. And it was kind of like, God, I'm good with all of this, but let me keep you at an arm's length. Right? They say, you know, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. That's like the ends of the ham. And God is relentless. He will push in. He will push in. He will push in. Why? Because he loves you so much. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 